Welcome to Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Each week, we explore down and dirty ways to stop awfulizing, catastrophizing, going down the rabbit hole, and moving through all the craziness that is happening right now. We're here to create a community of like-minded people as we give you tips, tricks, and techniques for keeping sane in an unhinged world. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Hey, everybody. This is Scott Grossberg, one of your co-hosts for the podcast, Keep Shit Together in a Stressed World. And I'm here with my podcast host, Michelle Post. Hey, Michelle. Hi, Scott. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today, live or on Memorex. Do we, you remember that uh, old yeah, com- commercial? Of course I do. Yeah, but you, <laughs> you couldn't do the Memorex unless you had a pencil that you could yeah. wind the uh, the little cassette tape with when the, the stuff came out. Remember that? Uh-huh, uh-huh, or you yeah. or you used your pinky to stick it into that little gear. Oh, man. We uh, are dating ourselves right now. So the, yes. the, the massive storm has come and gone through Scotland Grove here oh, in California. We you got survived uh, the snow. We got snow. <laughs> My dogs were completely confused um, because, you know, they'd seen hail, but I don't think they'd seen it anything as white like that. Uh, the, uh, it was actually very interesting when I videoed the labyrinth in our backyard, uh, I did, I didn't notice it until somebody pointed it out to me that how interesting that as the snow is following and falling and gathering in places, it it didn't stick inside the labyrinth. It was very interesting to go back and watch it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sticks on the grass more than oops I hiccuped you hiccuped I've never done that on the air before well that's okay if you keep doing it then the solution (laughs) is either a spoonful of sugar oh right we've covered that or Or Brian's peanut butter I haven't done the peanut butter yet oh all right um so what what do you what is going on in your life right now that we should talk about anything Uh, well yeah I um so I had this couple of great discussions with uh, clients in my life in or in my practice who have relationships in their lives. And we talked about the difference between feeling connected and disconnected to the people you're close to. And what are the thoughts and behaviors and feelings and physiological reactions that tell you you're somewhere on the spectrum, right? Like we can't always be a hundred percent connected to others hundred percent of the time, right? Like you, you're going to have moments. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, breaking it down, I mean, that's a, probably a whole other subject like disconnected for, versus connected. But when you think about it, you want to be able to mention to your partner or your coworker or your friend, if you're feeling off in your relationship for more than, you know, seven days, two weeks, because as Mr. Rogers says, if it's mentionable, it's manageable, right? Oh, I so like you that. need to talk about it first. If it's mentionable, it's manageable, right? That's, that's true of everything on our podcast, right? If we, if we talk about, I don't know, stress, then it's manageable. If we talk about relationships, then they're manageable kind of thing. So anyway, we went through this exercise and I was just curious, like, do you have a sense? Like I have a sense of when I'm connected to my partner and when I'm disconnected, um, do you have a sense of like what the range is, you know, what the spectrum is, what are the behaviors? Um, yes. Like if we're talking a lot and you know, in good communication versus not talking very much or our communication is stunted. That's one of my measures, for instance. So I, I'm in a, well, you and I chatted a little bit off air. I'm in a weird place right now. Uh-huh. So um, I have a whole, I'm redefining Scott right now. All right. And, and so with, interesting. with that, I think comes redefining the bullshit we tell ourselves uh-huh, uh-huh. or redefining the bullshit I tell myself. Yep. Redefining my view of the world. Yep. And making certain that I'm not taking my 
view of the world and overlaid it on someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Carolyn and I come from such different worlds, number one. Ah. Um, I mean, we do just, just in a material way. We come from such different worlds. Okay. Um, we come from such different worlds from a religious and philosophical standpoint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet the emotional love connection is the one thing that is there despite all of the, the differences. differences. <clears throat> and there are a mm -hmm. lot of differences. I mean, it's a, we've mm -hmm. joked about it before. Carolyn is somebody who will, uh, <laughs> I just, as a thank you for her taking care of me uh, right now, um, it's like, how about we do this? There's this concert coming up. She happens to love Blake Shelton and she loves Tim McGraw. And for the first time, they're going to appear here in California oh. together ah. months from now. And I wanted her to get these tickets. And again, I go to a concert, give me a freaking ticket. And I want to sit down. I want the front row and I want to watch the show. She, wow. wants, to, she wants to go be in the pit. Yeah, she wants to be in the pit. Yeah, she, she doesn't care whether it's a reserve seat or not. It's like, get me in the pit. Let me go have fun. Let me do this. And oh, by the way, I'm not going to be there anyway, because somehow I'm going to sneak backstage and break all of the rules <laughs> and, and get there. And so when I know it, it's weird to say, but I know when we're having that kind of a disconnect, everything's yeah. fine. Everything's fine. Okay. So that disconnection isn't the emotionally painful disconnection. Like, no. you know, we're more like roommates than we are, you know, partners kind of thing. We, we generally, I'm probably saying too much right now, but <laughs> what, whatever. Um, <laughs> I love it when you're like this. Whatever. Um, <laughs> most of our challenges and discussions and problems all deal with family members and other people. Okay. Outside factors. And yeah. I don't, yeah. And, and so, I mean, as a family therapist, I don't know how that mm -hmm. relates to, do I feel connected? The mm -hmm. answer is yes. And I've always likened, I, and I can't remember who I heard it from. I, I didn't come up with this. I wish I had, yeah. but you know, there's a connection when your name sounds safe on another person's lips. Uh, yeah. That's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. And I, I love that, that yeah. part of it. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so with the couples I've been working with, uh, just to give those of you out there that have any interest in this, an idea, you know, like we can, we can say these words and then not really break them down and know what they mean. So for some of my couples, they can tell when they're connected, if they're more patient with each other and they're getting disconnected, if they're more irritable or if they're, you know, um, warm, have a feeling of warmth towards the other versus feeling a sense of coldness. Or I like to talk about, you know, the positive assumption. If you if something goes wrong, you make the positive assumption about the other person. That's when you're more connected. When you make the negative assumption, oh, you know, why were they so lazy and didn't get this done for me? Or I don't matter to them. Why didn't they, you know, why wasn't this, you know, more of a priority? Or how could they forget that I asked this? You know, we do all that later in a relationship. We don't, in the beginning of the relationship, we're like, oh, they must have gotten busy or work must have been tough for them today. Like we make all these we positive, it away. Yeah. yeah, we make the positive assumption that the person has our best interest at heart and you know, has a good reason for why they didn't do something, right? Or like when you're connected, you tend to be more thoughtful of the other, more considerate. When you're not, you're more tuned out. You know, when you're connected, you're more present. Um, when you're not, you're more absent-minded or distracted, you know, even when you're in each other's presence kind of thing. I'm sorry, what, what did you just say? Uh, that no, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> Well, you know, with internet, I can never tell if like if my internet went out or something. I was joking with you. Yeah. So just uh, like physical affection, you know, when you're physically affectionate with each other, you tend to be more connected. When you're physically distant, you're more disconnected, right? So that's just something that we've been toying with in my practice with um, relationships, Um you know, are we on the same page? Are we on the same team? Are we moving forward together versus feeling like we're working at opposition to each other? So that's what's been going on. And well, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of things in the, going in the on. week of, in the week of a practice. You know, there's all kinds of 
variety of rainbow flavors. Uh, yeah, I, I will say <laughs> that it's, you know, I'm just going to put this out there because I know we have a lot of people who also listen who have their own practices mm -hmm. one way or another. And I am starting to notice again with my clients, again, perhaps it's me, but uh -huh. I'm starting to notice a great many clients suddenly pulling back again and not wanting it's I can do they don't want to do the work they can do it themselves they don't think they need anything um and mm -hmm. so it's it's going to be interesting I don't know what to I, I don't even know what to account to that um mm -hmm. but it's 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 a fascinating thing that I'm starting to see where again it, it's it's not that they it's not just that they don't want to do the work we get that all the time but they don't even want to take the time to do the work. Right. And they don't think they need to take the time to get the work. And then they constantly wonder what the fuck is going on in my life. Right. Um, right. And I, I, I will say this, I don't push shows a whole lot. Uh, mm -hmm. In my downtime, I've been watching uh, some fascinating work. I don't know if any of you have Netflix or have seen the documentary Stutz, S-T-U-T-Z. And it is I've never heard of this comedian. I know I'm going to sound really bad here, folks. Uh, the comedian is Jonah Hill, who I don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, actor, comedian. Yeah, word, I word went. I, I don't. But this mm -hmm. the, the documentary, The Way of the Traitor came out, was just so fascinating to me because I love black and white and that whole film noir look. Ah, okay. And the whole thing is filmed this way. And I don't want to ruin it for any of you, but it is Jonah Hill's documentary of his therapist and it is literally him interviewing his therapist oh. and sometimes going through therapy sessions um hmm. it, and it's just from a clinical standpoint from a coaching standpoint and i love phil stutz i don't i've never heard of this man before i went out and immediately bought both his books oh um i mean that and i don't do that right folks it's like i'm telling you this man this man is spectacular Great. because it, it, it's he's dealing with his own shit keeping mm -hmm. his shit together yeah. he's got part they don't make any secret of it he's got parkinson's and okay. you you watch what happens throughout this this documentary by the way was filmed over a period of i believe four to five years oh wow so you watch the progression and how it it's happening mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i i just love phil stutz's approach to life i wish i would say it more often to clients i do it with some but his approach to life is here are the tools, just fucking do it. You will get better. I guarantee it. <laughs> As opposed to the normal uh, therapeutic approach, therapist approach, right? He's a doctor, he's trained uh, of being very passive and listening. He talks about all this uh, and the distinction between his approach to therapy versus what you learn in school and how you're supposed to be supportive and an advocate and blah 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 and it's like no just do my fucking work just do the work <laughs> and you will feel better um so i haven't read the books just came yesterday i haven't read them started reading them yet but i'm going to go back and watch the documentary again and i don't do that oh, very often no you don't so i i invite people again it's just called stutz s-t-u-t-z uh -huh. and this man is uh I, i'm just amazed by him yeah okay Okay. Well, that's definitely, I mean, it, kind of a fun, silly Apple TV version of that is um, shrinking. Did we talk about this yet? We didn't. Shrinking on Apple TV. It's about a man whose wife dies and he is, he's a therapist and he is off the rails and he's a Cogby therapist, which I am. And he's off the rails and starts to try to come back on the rails, but he's so in left field that he starts doing less than kosher things with his clients. <laughs> and the only thing that makes it palpable for me, uh, you know, watching somebody do really inappropriate things with their clients is that he's got an older play by Han Solo. Why are my names escaping me? Who's Han Solo and Indiana Jones? See, you just, did a, you just did the pattern interrupt on me. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, oh, I can't remember. Anyway. Uh, I don't know. He's married, he's married to Callista Flockhart. I can yes. picture him. Yes. Okay. Harrison Ford. 
Yeah, there you go. There, got it? Okay. So anyway, he is the older, wiser, you know, um, practice leader who kind of uh, highlights what what is uh, not kosher about it. And, you know, anyway, it's it's a good show. And it's fun for me as a therapist to watch them where normally therapist shows are very painful for me. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, like, before we move into today's topic, I don't watch lawyer shows because it's like I'm watching them and it's I like, that, that's just bullshit. Or, or I, I watch know. a cop show because I worked with so many in law enforcement and trained them and it's like, that's just bullshit. It wouldn't right. happen. Right. I, will t- I will tell everyone, I absolutely love the old Ellie McBeal TV show with the dancing oh, baby and yes. the lawyer, the lawyers, who, the lawyers who would go into the bathroom and there was a sliding panel. And the oh. only way they could get away from life was to go behind the urinals and, yes. and sit in and their sing. own private area. And yes. it's like, yeah, and everybody had their theme song. It's like, you know what? Yes. That, that's fucking real life. Isn't that life? Yes. I love that too. Yeah, exactly. That All right. Why don't you, why, why don't you move us into today's topic? All right. Well, today's topic is resilience and coping with adversity. <laughs> Lo and behold, do any of us have adversity? No. No. Why would we ever have adversity? All right. So, you know, there's any number of things that create adversity, right? Stress, challenges at work, finances, slow moving practice. Um, issues with in-laws, issues with family, issues with the partner. There's any number of things that that can create adversity. Oh, I don't know, worldwide pandemic, maybe um, financial insecurity, war going on. <laughs> Re- real, realizing you're crazy, realizing the world is crazy. I got to tell yeah. you, somebody sent me over the weekend a book to read. I have not read it yet, but the title of the book is Surrounded by Idiots. <laughs> Yes. And what's that saying? If everywhere you go, there's an asshole, you might be the asshole. You might be the asshole. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So my point is adversity is not hard to find uh, wherever you look. And so when we talk about coping with it and resiliency, I try to turn to the research, right? There's, there's the anecdotal experiences that we can all try out and throw spaghetti at the wall and see if they work. But let's let's talk a little bit about what some of the research shows. So a while ago, I did a lit review, and it was based on burnout, right? So, so you have adversity and stress in your life, but what about burnout? Like, where does it get really, really sticky? And so you want to be cautious. Um, if you have these risk factors, and you're connected to a lot of adversity, um, it's really important to attune uh, to the the thing the solutions later. So let's just talk about the risk factors. So if you're in high stress situations and you have a history of mental health diagnosis of any kind, you're at higher risk <clears throat> than you would be if you've never had a mental health diagnosis. So that kind of makes sense, right? But interestingly enough, um, if you're a woman, you know, just 50% of the population. If you're a woman, you have a higher risk of burnout and, you know, higher levels of this stress seeping in. If you're a woman, that's what the literature shows. If you have a history of your own personal trauma, so you've had adverse childhood events, you've had um, abuse or emotional abuse, or you've witnessed traumatic incidences that have created challenges for you. If you have a history of trauma, you're more at risk for difficulty coping with adversity. Um, If you work long hours or have heavy, heavy caseloads in your working life, you have a higher risk level too. And it feels like to me, at least in the American business consulting that I do, uh, particularly healthcare, Large caseloads are worse and long working hours are worse um, in the pandemic, since the pandemic, than they were before. People are burning out and leaving the industries. Yeah. Um, Now that we're seeing layoffs in the tech industry, although there's a significant number of people that get rehired within a couple of months, there was a a study that that talked about that. Um, Still, if you're left at the company after layoffs, you're usually doing multiple jobs 
So your caseload has just gotten bigger and your lay and your working hours have just gotten longer, likely, unless they've also trimmed services to manage the lower work works um, force. If you lack training in a field that you're in, you know, you feel out of your depth, uh, you were kind of thrown in, you know, thrown in, you know, teach one or see one, by, by the teach way, one, this is, do one. This is most of the people I work with who feel they've been thrown in the river, told to swim. Yeah. And nobody, it's like nobody taught them how to actually swim like a swim. duck. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and so there, there's a, there's, you and I talked about this show, by the way, that we both watch the uh, special forces one. Yes. Now I have not watched this episode yet, but it's okay. very fascinating okay. that I was just watching uh, an EFT, which is emotional freedom technique uh, show with a doctor who talked about, I'd never heard of this before, the special forces training where they take you tie your hands behind your back. Imagine yes. this folks. Yes. They drop you in the water. Yes. And, and tell you to survive for five minutes. Yes. And obviously most people will struggle and they'll try and do this and that. And in yes. fact, the only way to survive this test, and I'm, I know it's coming up on the episode cause I saw them. And I have seen it. Uh -huh. But the only way to do this is you have to surrender to the water. You have to surrender yeah. to the problem. You yeah. have to literally go down to the bottom. Yep. And then push yourself back up, get your air and get go back air. down again. Mm -hmm. And we are so in the West, at least not programmed for this kind of response to adversity. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. We are not, we are not programmed to surrender to it and learn from it and learn to adapt to it. We are not. So you're right. Yeah. So lack of training, you know, if you, if you, feel like you lack training and you're not adapting well, that is a high risk. Um, if you lack clarity about your role, so let's say you work on a team and you don't know what your what your role is, where do you start and end, where does someone else pick up and end, what's your role versus another, that creates stress. Or in a solopreneur type of thing, like what, who are who's my audience and um, what am I doing with my career and what am I doing with my services and where's my, what's my role among all of these other providers. So that lack of clarity, even in yourself can create a higher risk for. And, there's a, and, and there are a lot of solopreneurs who do not have a support system. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, be, it becomes this vicious cycle of, mm -hmm. of I'm on my own. There's nobody here. I've got to take care of myself. And they don't mm -hmm. realize it doesn't have to be that way. No, there, there's actually membership organizations and certain groups that you can join that are focused on solopreneurs. Yeah. Um, Soho House being one for younger solopreneurs kind of thing. Um, but anyway, so clarity of role, unsupportive work or social environment, right? Same thing. You're working on your own. Who's, who's supporting you? Did you create your own kind of group of peers? or you're working in a system, do you feel unsupported at work? And what about at home? You know, in, do you have friends or family or a relationship where you feel supported in your social environment? If not, you're more at risk. And then if you work in an isolated location, so this is fascinating because I used to think about this as rural, like if you were in a rural area and you had less contact with people, but with the great migration to online, I'm seeing some of the, my remote workers who feel a sense of isolation because they're in a room by themselves across the country from the rest of their co-colleagues, right? Instead of having, and they're not making the time to have water cooler-like experiences online where you just get together and you chat and catch up with each other. It's work, 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 right? So that brings a new level to that isolated location. And then of course, if you are working regularly, extensively with severely traumatized people, you are more at risk because of the vicarious trauma. So this okay. is where you're looking at your emergency workers, your um, funeral home people, your EMTs, um, your trauma, first responders, um, you know, if you're in the ICU all the time, 
kind of thing. So, um, or if you're in a, like a crisis center, rape trauma center kind of thing, you know, or I'm, a shelter. I, I'm going to put myself out there, Michelle. I don't know. I have no data for this. This, okay. this is now Scott just being intuitive. Okay. But I, I don't believe anybody has escaped trauma from COVID. I don't believe it. I don't. Some way or another, no matter what side of the, the spectrum you come down on, it's, it's like, look what the fuck we've just been through for three years. You know, so living in Florida, I will say that it does feel like certain geographic places that took a strange approach to COVID as just another cold and very little restrictions were put upon them. That may be the exception. Well, it, but even then, let's just take that. I, I, I'm uh-huh. simply saying, I've got family and friends who took that approach, by the way. Uh-huh. Right? You know, the anti-vaxxers, the this, the that. Uh-huh. Even take, take the physicality mm-hmm. and the medicine out of COVID, just the, the, the impact on relationships and family well, structure. Mm-hmm. And it was like, nobody escaped this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So how this you know, the research that I did existed pre-COVID, except for there was a study done on a cross-sectional study of almost 1,300 healthcare workers based across 24 hospitals in China during the coronavirus crisis. And they found that of those surveyed, 50% had depression symptoms and 45% had an anxiety, 34 had insomnia and 71, almost 72 had post-traumatic stress symptoms. So definitely at least in terms of healthcare workers during this, you know, and what we saw in the mental health field was a huge surge of mental health issues during so, the pandemic. So having talked about this and I'm looking at the clock here, but mm-hmm. I hear you talk about resiliency. Yeah. You've heard me talk about, you know, some of my upbringing, the old suck it up buttercup, the old, you know, <laughs> don't cry. I'll give you something to cry about. At what point are we being resilient in a healthy way? Right. Versus ignorant i don't i and scott's scott's becoming very blunt lately and it's just it, and it's okay. and it's like at some point we become ignorant of the facts that are our own lives right yeah 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 so i would say if you are white knuckling through something using repression and denial and suppression okay so that's the suck it up buttercup i'll give you something to cry about white knuckle yourself through this in my experience Sooner or later, your body won't give a shit and it will tell you that you need to address what you've been through. Your body doesn't care about what society is pressuring you to do. So I see a lot of people will crack. Either they'll have a healthcare issue or someone will die in their life or they'll have a crisis in career or something. And they've hit their proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back and now they need to address everything. And I've seen it in blue collar workers and white collar workers and some of the toughest people. I'm sure there are exceptions to the rule. There's always exceptions to the rule. Not many people get by without the exceptions to the rule. Okay. Your body will get you sick and slow you down if you don't learn to slow down. It's just kind of what happens. So now there are protective factors around resilience. So let's talk about the, if Unhealthy is white knuckling depression or denial. And there's a certain level of health in repression, suppression, and denial. Okay. You have a grief spurt in the middle of a business meeting. Figure out how to get yourself through the business meeting and and allow yourself the grief spurt later when it's safer. Or you have a grief spurt in the middle of a school day and you don't want to be bullied because you're a middle schooler, right? right? You know, get yourself through the school day and allow yourself permission to process when you're home alone at night, right? So I'm not talking about healthy repression to allow you yourself to be in a safe space with safe people. I'm talking about the unhealthy long-term denial. That doesn't work. But having good emotional boundaries is a resilient factor. 
if you tend to be able to say, these are my emotions, these are your emotions, I, I have mine and can share them with you, but I'm not going to take on yours, right? I have emotional yeah. boundaries. I know when I'm tired. I know when I need to take a break. I don't carry everybody on my shoulder, even if they're not in the room with me with all these invisible strings tied to everybody I'm worried about. If you can have good, healthy emotional boundaries and let go of your concerns for others for at least a portion of the time in the day and really allow yourself not to take that on, that is a protective factor. That is a, a resiliency creating factor. You know, I, I, I would hate, let me hasten to add here. Mm-hmm. And I, we've, I think touched on it in some of our other podcasts. Mm-hmm. There is a fine line in, in my opinion between what Michelle is talking about and all these books that are out there now about the, the, the gentle art of not giving a fuck or I don't give a fuck or I don't do this. And it seems to me, having never read any of them, uh-huh. um, but listening to the people who tout them, yeah. friends, family members, oh, I don't give a fuck. that uh-huh. um, it, it kind of missed, it, if that's how the book was written, it uh-huh. has kind of missed the whole point because what it's done is it's weaponized denial, and yeah. it has, and it it has basically said, "I'm I'm go, I'm doing, I'm not saying this correctly, but it's basically they're not giving a fuck uh-huh. is a way of them using it against you as a defensive mode, and yeah. then they attack with it, and it's like I don't think that's what this means. If you're attacking, you give a fuck." Yeah, exactly. Okay, because I don't give a fuck is like the Buddha sitting on the mountain, uh, detached from outcome in a state of peace and bliss. If if you're attacking, you're not in a state of peace and bliss. Exactly. And so I wanted to draw that distinction because I don't think that's anything that you're saying. But I can certainly hear people going, okay, I'm just not going to care anymore. Or I'm not going to say anything anymore. And it's like, that's not what we're talking about as far as resilience. What we're talking about is owning your own space, owning your own boundaries, owning the own, right. your own compassion for yourself. Right. And others. And, and and others. But you can't, I don't think, have compassion for others till you have compassion for yourself um, because you, you have no basis of comparison at that point or you take on their role. I've done this right. myself, by the way. Right. Um, and it's it's like when, when, when I hear the word resilient, it's such a powerful word. Right. And, and it's such a self discovery concept right it's it's not something that you're it's not something you're doing i don't think right you've right. heard me talk about doing happy yes doing ha- yes, yes. I, I don't do resilience i am uh-huh. resilient uh-huh that makes sense what i'm saying uh-huh yeah but you i'm saying you can do resilience <laughs> so how, how, how do you and that's what i'm asking how do you do yeah. resilience So uh, the first one is practice having good, healthy, emotional boundaries. That does not mean not being compassionate for other people. I'm, I really do feel and have compassion for other people when they are struggling with something. I feel it in my own body, but I know I can't fix it for the other person. And I witness what they're going through and leave it to them to figure out their best route out. I don't take it on, if that makes sense. I might suggest or guide if that's what they're coming to me for, but I'm not going to take on that work. And likewise, I don't go, don't care. You know, (laughs) that's not what we're talking about. Okay, the second thing is in your occupation, you can develop occupational support. So if you have the kind of occupation where, privacy and confidentiality is important, or you're dealing with heavy things like trauma or difficulties or et cetera, or you're even just struggling in the, in the business administration piece of your business, join a coaching group. If it's not built into your workforce, join a coaching group, develop a support group, get support groups in your life. If they're not already a part of your current occupational structure, right? But debriefing meetings um, at work and uh, strategy meetings at work are a form of getting occupational support. And that develops resilience. Right. 
spiritual well-being and meaning-making. Develop a practice for your well-being and your meaning-making. That fosters resiliency. So, you know, Simon Sinek, start with why. That's a part of meaning-making. If you have a spiritual practice, practice that spirituality. If, you know, the 12-step prayer in and of itself, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Just practicing that, is this something I can change? No. Okay, then let me practice acceptance around this. Is this something uh, I can change? Let me have the courage to change it and work on that. So even that is a spiritual practice. It doesn't have to be a ritualized church attending, synagogue attending, mosque attending type of religion, although those are helpful too. That's part of the research that fosters a sense of resiliency. And meaning-making, like, what can I learn from this? What's the meaning in this? What's the meaning in my own life? That fosters resiliency. Um, Even the sense that you are hardy and you have grit, like that you, you know, Scott, as you actually said, like, I am resilient, right? So even a belief system that you've faced hard things before, that you've got through them, then you'll get through this. That sense of resilience is resilient fostering. So it is a little chicken and the egg. But if you recognize that you have grit from the challenges that you've overcome in your life, and you can foster that and remind yourself of that, that helps with resilience. Uh, and I'll give everybody just a little trick that, that Scott used. Um, uh-huh. I'm full of tricks today. Um, okay. A, a little trick that, yeah. Before every trial, yeah. I would always watch one movie oh. to build resilience and grit and that attitude. What and movie? Three hundred. Three hundred. That's what it was called. Three hundred. The, the crazy warrior blood fest. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call it that. It no. This this was the um, the the <laughs> Greeks who stood against the invasion. And they okay. were vastly outnumbered. Okay. And the, the wife of the, the one hero says to him, come back with your shield or on it. Oh and it was and it was just literally, how do oh. I describe it? This whole kind of like listening to George Patton give his speech to the third army. Oh. It's, well, it's, I have to say that the directors of that film did not do a good job in their trailer because did Michelle not. didn't watch it. Because it just looked like a bunch of gore. <laughs> it's very graphic, and, and there's and by the way, there's a lot of gratuitous gra- graphic uh, in uh, stuff in it. That, that it's okay. not. I was looking at it. I always look at things again for the the motivation behind the it. Motivation. Like if you ever if you ever watch George C. Scott do his Patton movie, it's called Patton. Uh, there's another one. It just his 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 replication of the speech to the Third Army. Uh, it's like right? Or Kevin Costner writing, what what was it when he wrote The Horse? I can't think of the name of the movie. You know, I, everybody has their great pre-battle speech in these uh, movies. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so I those like, are the uh, things. Denzel Washington and Remember the Titans. It's a sports film. There's a lot of good sports motivations out there. Uh, or alternatively, yeah. for those of you that don't want all of that, you know, one of our go-to things here at the house, we say it to the grandkids, we've taught everybody this. Literally, as you leave, it's from Princess Bride. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> and it's literally. <laughs> or I just like that. if you know if you're not into just storming the castle. Um, Marianne Williamson. Oh, we her. are not. We are all meant to shine. So maybe this is a this is a chance for um, us to say that if you haven't read that from her book, um, it's often misquoted as a Nelson Mandela quote, but it's not, it's, uh, Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. Yeah. It's our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You, uh, I keep getting pop-ups, so I can't finish the rest, but it's uh, a great quote if you want to look that up and can be inspiring without the violence. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There are a lot of ways out there. You know, for me, of course, yeah. going, going into trial was battle. Um, yeah. So I was able to take that that uh, analogy. 
-hmm. but you don't have to do that. I wouldn't necessarily, I, I tell you, I wouldn't watch it today anymore. Um, oh. Not in that kind of situation. Right. But it's finding the right, finding tools. the right, well, finding the right mentor, role model, mm -hmm. hero who gives yeah. you permission to be resilient. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I we, would agree. We've been taught so, I think, so often not to be resilient. Right, right. And right. it's like, have you ever st stood back? Have any of you ever taken a step back and said, how am I getting in my own way? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good, good self-reflection question. And Rick, I would say recognize, look for the times when you didn't get in your own way, when you stood up for yourself and your belief and remember those times and use your own life as even an inspiration if you have that to draw from. Um, so two more, two more protective factors and we can talk about some self-regulating activities. Compassion satisfaction is a protective factor. So it's where when you're involved in your work or your life and you have compassion for others, you walk away feeling really satisfied. Did I help that person? Did I, you know, was I of service today? In the 12-step program, they talk about being of service is the best way to get out of your own head and your own addiction and get, get that itty-bitty shitty committee in your head to shut up, <laughs> is to be in someone else's, to be with someone else in their struggle and to feel like you're supporting them, right? So compassion, satisfaction. And then the last one was interventions like ventilation and debriefing or personal writing assignments. So venting and debriefing with people you trust, that can just be, it feels better to share and get it off your chest. You know, you've had a difficult moment. What was that like? You're experiencing pain right now. It's a struggle right now. You know, share that with somebody so that you're not alone in the experience and you can get the love back from others and the compassion. And then the personal writing assignments. There is so much work around resiliency coming from journaling, even health benefits like immune system functioning, improving when you journal at least 15 minutes a day. It's phenomenal. And yet many people have a, a battle against journal but, journaling. By the way, I, I'm going to help with the people who have battles against journaling because I'm a uh -huh. huge proponent for this. Go freaking doodle if that will help. You don't yeah. have to actually write words. You it don't. doesn't have to be a dialogue vomiting out of your head onto the page. Right. It, it can be draw, but you know, a happy face, draw the sun, draw an event. Right. Um, you know, one of the best things I ever went through occurred out of one of our podcast episodes, Michelle, when your friend came on and was talking about art therapy. And it was like, oh my God, I can actually write an I love you card, but draw it instead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of stuff came out of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in terms of other like momentary self-regulating, right? Because if we're facing stressors, difficulties, we need to self-regulate. So that's everything from, okay, let me just name the different colors I see in the room around me to um, the finger perspective that Diane Belinsky taught us yeah. where you hold your finger in front, you're having panic or stress, you hold your finger, you stare at it for about 10 seconds you look off in the distance two feet or more, you focus on that spot, you come back for 10 seconds, you focus on the other spot far away for 10 seconds, and you do that back and forth for about a minute and it calms your limbic system down. Or spelling your full name backwards brings your prefrontal cortex back online and calms your limbic system down. Um, taking naps or, or getting good sleep is part of self-regulating. Um, you know, I got to I got to tell you folks, I am a huge believer in power naps. I watched yeah. my, my dad did it, um, mm -hmm. astronauts do it. Uh every everybody I know that that isn't overburdened, overworked and stressed out. Uh-huh. They take power naps. It's like just uh -huh. we're not talking 2 hour naps. We're talking no, like what did you say? 12 minutes. 12 minutes is the ideal. Uh-huh. <laughs> 12 minutes of just like you're actually asleep or just sitting with your eyes closed deep, deep um i i aim for sleep yeah where it's literally you train your body to fall asleep 
and then you oh. come right back out of it. It's just a very, it's like a reset. You unplug for 30 seconds. Okay. Okay. So that's great. And then use HALT as a food guide for resiliency. HALT, don't allow yourself to get too hungry, too angry, too lonely or tired, or you're going to act out, right? So make sure you're eating healthy foods. Who would ever do that? <laughs> oh, finger push-ups where you put your fingers together and make kind of a teepee type of triangle pose and you push your palms together and you separate your palms out and you so that's what it's hard to, to describe that verbally to those of you listening but that's what I call finger push-ups you do this while you breathe breathe in push them together breathe in pull them apart breathe out okay and of course, mindfulness, um, it, practicing the Sabbath and unplugging, be it for the 12 minute power nap or a Friday night or half a day on the weekend, at least um, the five to six hours a week um, of unplugging is kind of the goal. You want to have about a five to six hour a week where you have made time for unplugging. And then, of course, the great benefits of yoga for self-regulating and prayer, meditation, and breath work for meditating. So those are some of your regular skills to practice, to foster resiliency. You know, to foster resiliency, you need to keep your, symp your sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system in check. And you want to have good internal thought processes have good social support around you and your own sense of grit and resilience. Make sense? It, absolutely. Okay. What, you know, I know we're running out of time here, but what could you say, what will you say to those listeners who listen to this and they're just so damn depressed or they're so stuck that it's like, yeah, Michelle, that's all great for other people, but it won't work for me. What, what could you say to them? Um, I would say, well, this is kind of, uh, you don't knock it till you try it. If you haven't tried it, if you've tried it and it hasn't worked, maybe it didn't try back then. Maybe you haven't tried it in a while. Maybe, maybe you tried it 10 years ago and your body wasn't ready for it. And the current you is ready for it. And I would say, pick one be yeah. it, you know, get a support system where you're able to talk about why you're so depressed or start journaling about what are, what's going on inside of you that you're feeling so depressed. Pick, pick one. The pick reason one I, the start. reason I ask that, because sometimes I get a sense or, or I'm actually overtly told by people I'm depressed. I can't do this. And I, and I get a sense that they're letting this self-diagnosis and or clinical diagnosis defined them. Yeah. And I've always loved Anthony Jackman, who was also a guest on our show. I, lo I love his comment when we were talking about hypnosis. Well, quite frankly, your, your beliefs are irrelevant to whether, whether this your, works or not. Your beliefs do not scare me. I think he said yeah, your, he belief, your lack of belief does not scare me, yeah, and it's, <laughs> but you know, sometimes I also like the poopy diaper analogy, you know, where I won't push somebody to move out of their diaper. I will say to them, some people need to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And maybe you're not sick and tired yet. You're not. Sick well, and you tired have permission enough. at any time, Michelle, to get me out of my poopy diaper. <laughs> and the poopy diaper is, you know, some people need to sit in their own poopy diaper. And while it smells to other people, hey, it's mine. I know where it comes from. And there's some in some sense, it's warm and comfortable. You know, if I change it, I'm going to have to face the world and get a cold bottom. All right. You know, I can't. So I can't. I do see this now. <laughs> So some people need to sit in their poopy diaper for a while until they, they decide that they <laughs> want to change it. You know what I mean? I like do, there's absolutely. no amount of me changing them. Like it's your poopy diaper. If that's where you're comfortable, you know, wow. maybe you need to sit in it a little while longer till you're uncomfortable. I'm going to need to sit with this for a little while and think about this. <laughs> See, you're like, I'm never sending a client to Michelle again. She's going to no, no, no. It's just that it, no, I actually, no, actually, uh, again, just being transparent with everybody. I think I got a lot of poopy diapers I got to deal with. Oh, okay. That's a that's lot. A, that's, that's a lot of shit. <laughs> Literally. 
Oh, man. Now I've right. got the image in my head. There you go. Oh, I hope someday I'm not sitting in my own poopy diaper wanting to be changed. So I got to tell you what's, come, what's, <laughs> running through, what's running through my head right now. By the way, this is part of resiliency is humor. Um, you know, yes, part, humor. part of this, I keep picturing Jeff Foxworthy and the here's your sign. I think <laughs> it was Jeff Foxworthy that did this. But it's like, all I keep picturing is, here's Scott. Uh-huh. Like you come to me, Michelle. Okay, Michelle, here's your poopy diaper. Yes. And then somebody else comes to me. Okay, here's your poopy diaper. And it's like I'm handing out poopy diapers. <laughs> now yes. you figure you figure out what to do with it. Yes. It, you know what's funny is when I used to give these, well, I still do, when I give a talk on resilience in the workplace kind of thing to a big audience. And I start telling them about you gotta create a self-care plan, whatever it looks like for you that's best for you. And what are you, like, you are the only you you have from the time you're born until the time you die. And nobody's going to take care of you if you don't take care of you. So what are you waiting for? And I would make a joke, like some white, some knight on a white horse coming along to rescue you and tell you to take better care of yourself. And then I'd put a picture up on the screen behind me of me on top of a white horse, telling them to take better care of themselves. go. Go do it. Like, go and do it. Yeah. You know, it's, all right. It's uh, any, anything you want to end on? You covered it. You've covered a lot. I covered here. a lot. So I think, um, yeah, I, I think, I think if it's, what did we start off with? If it's mentionable, it's manageable. So there maybe even if you're really in the doldrums around this, mention it to somebody and start looking at how you can manage it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a, it's a huge it's a huge plus for you to have a resilient mindset. Yeah. I will get through this, right? Yeah. I w- I've gotten through really difficult things before, maybe with a lot less power, like as a child, a lot less resources as a teenager kind of thing. Yeah. And I'll get through this. All right. With that, next week, speaking of getting through things, uh, next <sighs> week we are going to be recorded. Uh, so yeah. it won't be live. But yeah. uh, it's going to be a fun topic because we're going to talk about travel therapy Woo-hoo. and ha- how to use going to different places as a means of self-care and wholeness yeah. and, uh, and just recharge. inspiration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you all for listening. Uh, please remember to like, subscribe, share, post, you name it, promote us so that we can keep <laughs> doing what we're doing and help the rest of the world uh, with that. Thank you all for being here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've reached the end of another episode of Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. If you like our show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate our broadcast, and leave a review. The podcast is for general information only and not intended to be legal or mental health advice, nor the formation of a lawyer-client, nor therapist-patient relationship. Stay tuned for our next episode, and thank you for listening.